So we talked about, we're talking about, um, you know, once I become a follower of Jesus, once I become a, a disciple of Christ, once I become a Christian, once I um, commit myself to Christ, and you know, you may be committed to several churches over your lifetime, especially those of you who are in the military and those of you who move around because of your job or whatever reason. Um, you might be committed to several different churches in your lifetime, but only one Lord, only one Savior. And when you commit yourself to him, what then does he expect from us? And every time we read what God expects of us, it's for our benefit. Giving, being generous, the thing we talked about in the last series, it's hard for people to get this. I'm telling you, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard for me. But it's for my benefit. He wants me to be generous for me. He wants me to be generous because it's going to impact me. It's going to impact my life. It's going to impact my family. It's going to impact my heart. And so every command of God, when you think about the Ten Commandments, every one of those commands is for you. You say, time out. There's thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and then there's, there's thou shalt. and thou. Every command of God, every single command of God is for your benefit, for your protection. How many of you would admit, you don't have to raise your hand, but in your heart you'd admit, boy, if I'd obeyed some Ten Commandments, I'd be in a lot better shape right now than I am, or I wouldn't, be in, I wouldn't have gotten in a lot of trouble that I got into if I'd have just obeyed the Ten Commandments. I'm telling you, it's the Word of God, even those parts you read and go, wow, that is a high bar right there. It's for you. It's for you. It's for your blessing. If a person didn't even receive Christ, but they did the do's and they refrained from doing the don'ts, they'd have a better life because it's just a better life. But when you commit yourself to Christ, especially those of you who are new to Christ, you might be saying, you know, I mean, what does he want and what does he expect and, and what am I supposed to do? I mean, what is it that I can do with my life that at the end of it, he's going to go, well done. Good job. High five. Enter into the kingdom. You know, there are going to be some people who get to enter into the kingdom, but they're not going to get a high five when they go in. Because <laughs> it's really important that not only do you give your life to Jesus and give your heart to Christ and surrender to him, but it's so important that then you live for him. You live your life for him. You serve him. You let him work through you. Those are the ones that are going to get that high five. Those are the ones that are going to get that well done. So let's talk about that. Because one of the things on top of being generous that we talked about last time that he wants us to do is he wants us to influence people. He wants us to influence people. I love that video because it begins with showing you all the ways not to do it. Amen? All the ways not to do it. And you guys know how I am about super spiritual people and people who want to flaunt their Bible knowledge. I love that he used uh, use big words, use really big theological words. I don't like that kind of stuff. Those theological words are very, very important. 
They're very important, and we need to know what we believe, and we need to know our theology, and we need to understand our theology. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it, and we teach those classes, and I teach it from the pulpit. But I'm going to tell you something. When you're talking to that unbeliever and you're trying to influence them, that doesn't work. That doesn't work for them. And, and really, it's more of a demonstration. And you guys have heard me preach this, and I preach it. And I'll be honest with you, I've run into people through the years who don't agree with that. They don't agree with what I'm about to say. Can you believe somebody would not agree? I'm seriously. So, so one of the things that I live by and I teach and I get convicted about in my own personal life is that the reason a lot of times people don't want to hear about Jesus is because we who claim to be his followers don't act much like him. And if we would act like him, and I don't mean holy, holy, I mean serve, serve. Every time I see Jesus, he's blessing somebody. He's serving somebody. As a matter of fact, the thing I see about Jesus is he's always uh, serving somebody who is not a super spiritual person. He's always serving people who don't know him or know who he is or, or people who are living really uh, lifestyles that are diametrically opposed to what the Word of God teaches. It's like Jesus hung around those people. You remember what he got accused of by the religious people, don't you? He got accused of being a partier. They said he's a glutton and a wine-bibber and he's in league with sinners. He hangs around sinners. He hangs around unbelievers. And they just criticized him. And I love that scripture. You've heard me refer to it before. We're not going to go there. We're not going to preach from that tonight. Don't do it. Don't do it. Luke 15, those first three verses, first three or four verses, it talks about Jesus is about to teach the people. And it says that the religious people stood off from him, murmuring against him. And that sinners drew near to him. Yeah, baby. Amen. Y'all with me? That's what it's all about right there. The unbelievers loved him. The unbelievers loved him. He accepted them. He loved them. Now, he didn't condone all the ways they were living, but he loved them in spite of that, in spite of the way they were living. Uh, he was um, accepting of them. He took them like they were. How many of y'all grew up uh, in a church that sung just as I am? But we didn't, the churches I went to, they were like, I told you we were spit zone. The, ch the churches I went to, you couldn't come just as you were, could you? You better have a tie on. <laughs> just as I am, all dressed up with a tie on and shiny shoes and a nice suit. Isn't that the truth? Just as I am. I mean, we sung it, man. Matter of fact, I don't know whether y'all know it. There's about 30 verses to Just As I Am. And if you really want to make an unbeliever nervous, sing all 30 verses. <laughs> sing all 30. You even have a couple of deacons come up and get saved when you sing all those verses. So I haven't gotten to my notes yet. I'm going to get to those in just a minute. But Jesus, Jesus one of the requirements for a feral hardison, one of the requirements for Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Andrew and one of the requirements for Pastor Gage and all the leaders who are here, all the guys who are in media, all the people who are ministering in our children's areas tonight who are followers of Jesus, Jesus expects you to have influence in the lives, in the lives of unbelievers. <clears throat> 
I want to tell you that the longer you're a believer, the harder that's going to be. Because when you become a believer, you have a tendency to hang around believers, and that's good. That's okay. But I want to challenge you to be intentional about having relationships with people who haven't believed yet. And, and loving them. I, I, um, I can't do it anymore because I can't get any work done. But years ago, I used to go to Starbucks and get in the corner, and I would do stuff, work on my sermon. And I'd get in conversations. The last thing I wanted them to know was what I did for a living. Because the moment they knew what I did for a living, that, that, that uh, conversation was going to shut down. So I would, I would try to keep that from happening and just try to keep that conversation going. And then eventually there would be thought, um, uh, comments about church or comments about the Bible. And then it was my responsibility to walk through that open door. And I'm not really as good at that as I want to be, but I always want to be getting better at that. Let's look at a couple of scriptures where we see this clear command in the scripture. I want you to see witnessing, uh, that's an old school word, influencing, evangelizing the lost, those who don't know Christ, is a requirement for you as a follower of Jesus. So up on the screen, we see Jesus in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, he says, go, therefore, and I want you to notice the word go, really, when you, when you study the original um, Greek uh, language that, that we translated into English here, it really isn't go. See, that's why you need to, you need to um, read that Amplified Bible, and, and you need to know how to do a little bit of word study, because it makes it more powerful when you understand that that first word is not go, but it's as you go. As you go. See, with it like that in the King James Version or right here in New American Standard Bible, when you read it that way, it's like go. Here's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, hey man. Jesus said hey man a lot. Do y'all know? Jesus was saying in our vernacular, hey man, listen, when you get up in the morning, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember you're a Christian. Remember you're one of my followers. Remember you're an ambassador. You're a representative of mine. So as you leave the house and as you go wherever you go to get your coffee or where, and then as you go to work and Maybe from work you go out and do things and as you go, as you go to the grocery store, as you go to the post office, at wherever you go, as you go to the doctor's office, as you go, as you go into the world, go with the intention of making disciples. Now, to make a disciple, you've got to lead somebody to a relationship with Jesus. That is part of the discipleship process when a person who's not a believer decides to, to follow Jesus. So go, therefore, bridge Farrell Hardison, bridge staff, bridge board members, bridge uh, elders. Go, as you go into the world, make disciples of all the nations. And then what do we know happens after a person becomes a Christian? They are baptized. 
So you baptize them. Once they become a disciple, once they become a Christian, once they become a follower because of your influence, then encourage them and see that they are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then, then teach them. Teach them. Help them grow. Teach them to observe. That means to live out, to practice in their lifestyle all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Isn't that powerful language right there? Uh, I heard a preacher preaching on this one time, and he said, I don't fly in airplanes. He said, and the reason I don't is because the Bible says, lo, I'm with you always. Not up here. I'm just with you. All right. So now let's go to the book of Acts. And this is right before Jesus ascends into heaven. And he leaves this final word. Jesus says, But as my followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my, come on, witnesses. Now, if you've got a Pentecostal background at all in your life, I do, I have a Pentecostal background. Who's got Pentecostal stuff in their background? Okay. So uh, I'm going to have all of them come up later. And those of you who have never seen it, we're about to show you what church is all about. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So um, Holy Spirit comes on you. So when the Holy Spirit comes on you, when the Holy Spirit comes into you, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you are, the Bible says, baptized in the Holy Spirit, when you are, just like water baptism, when you are immersed in the Holy Spirit, what does Jesus say next? That is going to result in you being an influencer. That's going to result in you being an influencer. Now, how many of you who went to those Pentecostal churches, and I'm not kicking on them, that's my whole background, but how many of you got a lot of teaching about how after you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the first thing we want to teach you how to do is be a witness because Jesus said, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be... I didn't get any. I didn't get any teaching on that. Here's the teaching I got. The teaching I got is that the Holy Spirit was for my enjoyment, not my employment. But I want to put up a little social media thing, and then we'll go back to this verse. If you guys will pop that next slide up for me. Not that one, the next one after that. Uh, yeah, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which is for every believer, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not primarily for our enjoyment. Do you all understand what I'm saying? How many of you know that there are churches that you go to and the Holy Spirit is moving and they're like, oh, this is so awesome, Holy Spirit's moving. Hey, you know what? If you worship that way and you have church, I don't have a problem with that at all if that ministers to you. But, it's, but the Holy Spirit coming on you, the Holy Spirit coming in you, is not primarily for the feeling you get. It's not primarily for the enjoyment. And I do enjoy. How many of you know there are times when we're worshiping, or there are even times in a sermon, can you imagine the Holy Spirit moves in some of my sermons? Can you, that when, the, when we're worshiping, and when the word is going forth, and you know, man, the Spirit of God's here. You know those moments? I mean, I don't know how really to describe them. Different ways, different things for different people. Hair stands up on the back of your neck. You get this little feeling that goes down your spine, and you're like, man, I don't know what just happened. 
It's the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I enjoy that. I love that. I think God's cool with us enjoying the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, don't you? And that's good, and I want us to have that, and I want us to emphasize that. But here's the problem. Human beings are so much about flesh and what something feels like that they lose the right focus, and they go, it's mostly for my enjoyment, but it's not. It's for your what? employment when you are filled with Jesus when you are filled with God when you are filled with the Holy Spirit it is for your ministry it is so you will witness it is so you can operate in the gifts God has put in you to build his kingdom and influence his kingdom amen amen now guys if you'll back up one slide Let's go back to this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it's like, you know, local and then a bigger region and then America and then all over the world. And the thing that I am so thankful for here at the bridge is that we literally, and we're growing in that, and we're not where we will be, but it's kind of like the old cowboy during the testimony service, um, the pastor was trying to get everybody to testify and get, give a, get, tell a little bit about their story and be, be thankful to God. And he got up and said, well, he said, I ain't what I ought to be. He said, but I ain't what I was. <laughs> and so that's kind of how I feel about the bridge. We're not what we're going to be. We're not what we ought to be yet. But trust me, I've been at this church 26 years. Some of y'all been close. And, and, we're not what we were. We're not what we were. God's brought our church a long, long way. And I'm thankful for that. And we literally impact Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And because of your generosity and you going on mission trips and all that, we impact the world. And when you put a bunch of churches like us together, that makes a huge impact on the world, doesn't it? And so, so God's called us. Just like I taught last week and, and the weeks before, that God had called us to be generous, not hold on tight, but open our hands and let him get it to us so he can get it through us. And I taught you that, and that's one thing God, re God requires, and, and that's tough. Here's another tough one. It isn't enough that you serve Jesus. God wants you to influence other people. And that's not get all up in their grill, get all up in their face, get all up in their wheelhouse and get all holy, holy, and, you know, get that preacher voice. You ever heard somebody get a preacher voice when they're preaching? They sound like they swallowed a steeple, you know. You ever heard one of those preachers? And, you know, and, and, all, and here's the thing I've noticed about people. They, they, they do get almost a, a sin, a, an air of superiority. Can I just tell you, that is the, la that is the opposite of Jesus. That's the opposite of Jesus. So he wants us to have influence. Now, to illustrate how God works to assist us in this mission. Now, here, here's something you need to know. Every command of God is a promise. Every command is a promise. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If God says to you during this last series on giving, I want you to participate in this. I want you to give. I want you to do it. And you feel that. And you're like, but I don't have much money. And God goes, I want you to do it. Here's what God's saying to you. God's saying, I, I'm requiring you to do that. I'm calling on you to do that. 
but I'm promising you that if you will, I'm going to provide for you. And that's the same way it is with this. God looks at Farrell Hardison, Jeremy White. He says, I want you to be an influence to lost people. I want you to speak to lost people. I want you to love on them. I want you to demonstrate my love to them. And when the door opens, I want you to share me with them. And then he says, but don't be scared because I'm going to go with you. Remember, he said, and lo, I'm with you always. He said, I'm going to go with you and I'm going to empower you and I'm going to help you. So every command of God, every command is a promise. God will never tell you to do something and then walk away and cross his arms and go, so let's see how well you do. When I was 17 years old, God said, I want you to be a preacher. I want you to be a pastor. I want you to be a teacher of my word. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know anything. I knew very little. But see, with that command came, and I'm going to walk every step of the way with you. And when you do stupid stuff, I'm going to stay right there with you. Now, so far, I haven't done anything stupid. <laughs> so I'm thankful for that. No, I've blown it many times. And God's never left me. He's never left me. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is my favorite book in the Bible. And I love all the Bible. Don't go out and say... Pastor only loves Joshua. I love the whole Bible, but I love the book of Joshua. Man, the first sermon series I preached when I came to Whitley, which is now the bridge, was on the book of Joshua. We took, we took weeks and just went through the book of Joshua. So I want to pull out of that. Uh, we're going to go to chapter 2, and I'm not going to read it. Uh, the text that we're going to use is chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Now, just leave that up there, guys, and let me just give you guys a little background for this story. You know, you know the children of Israel were in Egyptian bondage, and um, uh, Yul Brynner would not let them go. <laughs> Y'all seen the Ten Commandments? But Charlton Heston said, yes, you will. So Yul Brynner played Pharaoh. Charlton Heston played Moses. And... Uh, and, and so you know that story of how, of how Moses led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and into the wilderness. There was, a, there was e Egypt, and then there was the land of Canaan, and they were supposed to go straight from Egypt, straight to the land of Canaan. Now, a lot of people say Canaan represents heaven. We get to go to heaven. You know, we, go, we live in this world, and then we get to go to heaven. But Canaan... This is so important. Canaan's not a picture of heaven. Canaan is a picture of the abundant life we can have right now. That's so important right there. I hope you don't let that go. So many people go, you know, when we go to funerals, he crossed over Jordan. He's gone into Canaan's fair land. And we're all out there going, yeah. And then we know the guy and we're like, I ain't sure. But, you know, it's amazing how awesome people get right after they die, isn't it? Have y'all ever been to funerals that about a halfway through you wanted to go up there and see if that was the right, you were in the right funeral? You wanted to look in there and go, I don't believe that's him. Let me go there and make sure I'm in the right funeral. 
All right, I'm off base. Pastor, I've already blown it. Um, so, so, uh, here, so, so here's the deal. When you come, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, that's like us coming out of sin. That's like us getting saved. That's a picture of us getting saved. Just a, a few little Bible tidbits here. In the Bible, every time it said they went to Egypt, it always says they went down. It doesn't matter where they went to Egypt from. It always says they went down to Egypt because the Egypt is a picture of our life before we knew Jesus. But how many of you know when you become a Christian, you're not in Canaan land yet? How many of you know when you become a Christian, you're in the wilderness? Amen? You know, that's why we have to help new Christians. That's why we have to help them and have classes and small groups and all kind of stuff and friendships with them because we got to help them. So, so if, listen to this now, if the children of Israel had gone directly from Egypt to the land of Canaan, anybody take geometry? What's the shortest line, but the shortest uh, distance between two? A straight line, very good. Had they taken a straight line, do you know how long it would have taken them to get to Canaan? 11 days. Do you know how long they were in the wilderness? 40 years. Church people, no doubt about it. Church people. And so they wandered around in the wilderness. And Moses actually disobeyed God, and so therefore he was not able to lead the children of of uh, Israel into the promised land. So the leadership of the nation of Israel was turned over to who? Joshua. And Joshua was 6'5", 32-inch waistline with hair blowing in the wind. <laughs> That's the way I picture Joshua. Because the whole book of Joshua, he is this awesome leader. And, and uh, it's, I just picture him like that. But anyway... Joshua led the children of Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land. There's so much preaching right there, but I can't do it. So when they got on the other side, the first enemy they really faced was a city called Jericho. The great walled city of Jericho. As a matter of fact, when you study about Jericho... The walls were so wide and so thick that people lived in the walls. First condominiums. Write that down in your notes. Write it down. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, really. Probably first condominiums. And then they said that you could put chariots side by side, and, they, and the chariots could go all the way around that wall. Mighty, fortressed wall. So Joshua, when you study the book of Joshua and you study the life of Joshua, you talk about a military genius. As a matter of fact, the Israeli army today uses some of the strategies that Joshua designed in the Old Testament under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I'm not kidding you. The Israeli army uses some of those tactics today in their battles. So... So Joshua's like, you know what? Before we take on this city, we need to check it out. So he gets two spies to go there and check it out. And those two spies end up in the home. Y'all going to love this. You're going to go, sure. In the home of a prostitute. 
They ended up in the home of a prostitute. Her name was Rahab. She was known as the shady lady from Jericho. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> now, I want you, now, let's think about now. We're witnessing. We're talking about witnessing, right? We're talking about influencing unbelievers. So you got these two spies, and you got Rahab. Who does Rahab represent? The unsaved, that person who doesn't know the Lord. Who do the two spies represent? Represents us. So God in his providence, and here's what the word providence means. It means God sees ahead and makes provision. God in his providence brings these two spies together with this lost woman. Wasn't, wasn't a coincidence. It was God's plan. Now, I want you to get this. So when they first meet her, she's a pagan living in spiritual darkness. She is a harlot living in sinful depravity. She is a Canaanite destined for sure destruction. Because y'all know what happened to Jericho, don't you? What does the little song say? The walls came a-tumbling down. All right, Bible question. And don't say the answer this obvious because it'll be wrong. How many times did they march around the walls of uh, Jericho before it fell? 13. Yes. <laughs> Proving that on that particular day, 13 was not an unlucky number. Was for, was for the Jerichoans. Is that, the, is that what they are? Jerichoans. Was for them. So most people say what though? They say, march around seven times. Here's what they did. They marched around one time a day for six days, and on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. And the walls did come down. Matter of fact, you can go there today and see that, that place, see that area. So here she is. She's a pagan, just like the people you're going to be trying to influence, and she's living in spiritual darkness. She's a harlot. She is living in sinful depravity. She's a Canaanite. She's destined for sure destruction. Now, now, you can think this is not seeker-friendly preaching or whatever you want to. I want to tell you, people who don't know, to Je don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior are headed for eternal destruction. Now, we don't hear a lot of preaching on that these days, but ladies and gentlemen, hell is a real place. And people really do go there. You say, well, I'm not sure what I believe about that. Have you ever taught on it? Yes, I have a four-part series that I preached. It hasn't been too long ago, and you can go on our website, and you can find it. But when God is finished with Rahab at the end of this story, and I know you're out there going, boy, and it's going to take us a while to get there, ain't it? But when God is finished with her, she's transformed. When God's done with Rahab, she is totally transformed by his amazing grace and his redeeming love. And instead, listen now, instead of her being a pagan living in spiritual darkness, she exercises her faith in Jesus. She, well, not Jesus, but her faith in God at that time. Jesus had not manifested on the earth at that time as our Lord and Savior. So she trusts God. She puts her faith in God, and she is saved, but she is not only saved. You remember the story? Her whole household is saved. Her entire household is saved from the judgment of God. Instead of now being a harlot, uh, living in sinful depravity, she becomes a happily married woman to, of all people, get this, a prince 
from Israel, the country who was coming in to make the walls fall down, she ends up marrying a prince from Israel. Now listen, instead of her being a Canaanite destined for sure destruction, look what happens to her. Rahab becomes a part of the house and lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that she becomes an ancestor in the flesh to our Messiah, Jesus Christ, Israel's Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Rahab, some of you may not know this, or you may, some of you may. Rahab is the great-great-grandmother of King David who killed Goliath. Rahab, that harlot, becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. And do you remember when Jesus was born and he was living on the earth? Do you remember when they would cry out his name? What would they would say? What would they say? They would say, Jesus, son of David. Because they, they were just saying, hey, the lineage is all the way from David. That Jesus came from that lineage, Israel, David, uh, Rahab. And we'll read about that. Hebrews talks about it in Hebrews 11. And we'll cover that before this sermon series is over. Here's a woman who is transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God moves her from the house of shame to the hall of fame. And the reason we say that is because Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of fame of faith. Have you ever read Hebrews 11? It just lists one person after another in the Old Testament talking about how mighty their faith is. So she was in the house of shame, a prostitute. She ends up in the hall of fame of faith. That's a miracle. Listen, let me tell you what that is. That is the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And that's why he wants us to talk to people who don't know the Lord. That's why he wants us to, because he wants their lives to be transformed. Now, I'm going to close with this. I want to talk about Rahab's confrontation. In Joshua chapter 2, we see the spies. They come into Rahab's house. Again, not coincidence, but providence. Rahab's a lost woman. Think about the people God wants you to connect with. She's a lost woman. She's disconnected from God. And if she doesn't get connected to God, she's going to face the judgment of God with the rest of the inhabitants of Jericho. Now here's the application for us. Aren't you glad for Rahab's sake and for our sake that we serve a God who doesn't give us what we deserve, he gives us what we need. He gives us what we need. How many of you wouldn't even be here if God had given us what we deserve? Y'all know those little bug zappers that hang on the back of the porch? Can I tell you that if it wasn't for the mercy of God, he would have done that to me a long time ago. Feral hardest and mm, no more feral. <laughs> Thank God. Come on, church. Come on. I know, I know you want to go home. Listen, you're not going home yet. Listen, come on. <laughs> Thank God he didn't give me what I deserved. He gave me what I needed. Can we give him a hand for that? Man. Thank you, Lord. I'm so glad that when God looked down and saw me, he didn't judge me for what I was, but he saw what I was going to be when he got through with me. See, when he saw Rahab, a prostitute, and you know what prostitutes do? And when he saw her engaged in that, he didn't judge her for that moment. He saw what she was going to be if she would trust him, if she would put her faith in him. He saw what he was going to make out of her. I love that we serve a God 
who isn't concerned about where we've been. We serve a God that's way more concerned about where we're going. Amen. Amen. So there was something that set Rahab apart from all the other inhabitants of Jericho. And this is what it was. Though Rahab was disconnected from God, I mean, she was a prostitute. We know she was a way far away from God. Listen, the Holy Spirit had been working on her. The Holy Spirit had been working on her. And it'll come out in this story next week how he had been working on her. But the Holy Spirit had been dealing with her and working in her heart and getting her ready, listen, to receive the word of the spy. And then God was over here. He was working on the spies, and, and, and he was working on them, and they didn't even know. And now they've got a relationship with God. They love God. God. God is their God. He is the one they worship. And so God's been working on them, and God's been working on Rahab, and then God intersects their lives. That's what I want to say to you. That's what I want to leave with you tonight that God is working on somebody out there, getting their heart ready, cultivating their heart, breaking up that old hard, crusty heart, breaking it up. And God's working on you right now in this sermon. He's challenging you right now in this sermon because what I'm going to challenge you to do is when you leave tonight, I want you to be on the lookout for your Rahab. I want you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, I want you to be ready when you meet your Rahab to share and to love and to show and to demonstrate the love of Jesus. So here's Rahab. She doesn't know anything about these spies yet. All she knows is Israel's got an awesome army and they're about to come tear that whole place down. And she's heard about God. She'll say it next week in the message. She's heard. She's heard about the Lord. She's heard about the Israelites. She's heard about the power of God. She's heard about the miracles. Look, she heard the story about how the Red Sea got parted and Israel walked over on dry land and, and then Pharaoh's army was drowned. She's heard all those stories how they were hungry and God sent food down from heaven and they ate that heavenly casserole that God sent down. She's heard all these stories and she's heard how through the, through the wilderness that God has miraculously caused Israel to defeat great enemies and so she's got all that information. So God's been working on her and then he's been working on those spies and then he intersects their lives and that's what I want you to understand. Listen, you were born again into the family of God for a purpose. And that purpose is that you would then be connected with, your life would intersect with people who don't know him, who aren't going to hear me preach a sermon. They're not going to hear Pastor Jeremy preach a sermon. And they're not going to hear Pastor Andrew preach a sermon. By the way, he's going to preach his first one at Mount Olive on Sunday. Woo! And so, and so they're, but they're not going to come Listen to me. This is so important. You're their messenger. You're their messenger. Now, you might get them to come, and they might hear a sermon, and they might give their life to Christ. Hallelujah. But that's not the only way you do it. You don't hear a person go, man, i got to tell you, I need God in my life. And they go, hold on, let me call the pastor. No, that's your deal. 
That's your deal. You've got to be ready. You've got to be ready. Certainly an invitation to church is a part of that, but you've got to talk to them and let them talk back to you. And the best way you talk to them is not by going, here's what the Bible says. Now let's turn over here. Now the Bible says that. Let's turn over here. Now the Bible says that. Here's what you, just tell them your story. Tell them your story. Tell them how at five years old you were addicted to lifesavers and you gave your heart to Jesus. <laughs> You know, I don't have one of those testimonies where I came out of drugs and stuff, but, but I got a story. Just tell them, go, man, I got to tell you, I'm not pushing it on you because, boy, if you start doing that, you're done. So you say to them, I'm not pushing it on you, but, man, let me tell you, here's what Jesus did for me. Here's what he did in my life. And I go to the bridge, and, man, we'd love for you to come. And Matter of fact, if you want me to, I'll pray with you if you want to step out to our car, I'll pray with you if you want to step outside or, or, I, or, or if you're not comfortable with that, I'll pray with you right now. I'll pray with you. I'll pray for you when I get home. I'll put you on my list. See, you've got to give them a connection. You can't send them away without connecting them in some way uh, to God. You know, there's so many things I could say and I got so many other notes, but y'all were so easy to preach to tonight. I got to leave some stuff out, but I'll get it in next week. Here's what I'm asking you. Are you available? Are you available to God? If God wanted to use you to speak to a person who's not a Christian, are you available? I mean, that's big, isn't it? Because when you think about talking, here's the thing I need you to understand, though. I need you to understand that if you make yourself available, God's already worked on that Rahab. God's already worked on Rahab in your life, in, in, in the scheme of things. So he's already got that heart ready. See, you think everybody you talk to about Jesus, you think they're going to be so resistant and so angry and get mad at you. The enemy wants you to think that. Here's what I'm saying to you. You're going to know that moment, and you're going to remember this sermon, and you're going to go, hmm, that's my Rahab right there. Have you ever been talking to somebody? You know, they call us, Jesus said we're fishers of what? Men. So, so have you ever gone out on a day, and you didn't know, an and there's a, there's a fish about to jump in the boat? I mean, you're talking to somebody at McDonald's, or you're at wherever, and all of a sudden, they're just talking about God, and you know they don't know God, and... And all of a sudden, you're just like, man, this is my moment. This is, this is God. God got this person ready. God got me ready. I heard that pastor's sermon. God's got me ready. This is my moment. I've got to be ready here. So I've got to give them my number. I've got to give them my email. Or I, and I want them to know where our church is. And I want to tell them I'll pray for them. And if they want to walk outside to their car, whatever, whatever. Just say, God, I'm, have you ever been in one of those moments where you knew you needed to do something, but you didn't know what to do? Let me tell you what you do right there. And under your breath, you go, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. <laughs> How many of y'all prayed that prayer? And, you're, and then you're like, did I say that out loud? <laughs> you know? So are you available? Are you available? Have you made yourself available to God? Have you made yourself available to the bridge? Have you prayed, Lord, as you prepare the hearts of unbelievers to receive your truth, I make myself available, God, that you would use me to minister to them. Use me to love them. Use me to serve them. Use me to lead them to you. 
And I'm going to tell you, man, one of the best ways is to serve somebody. Just figure out a way you can serve. Figure out a way you can be a blessing. That's going to open doors. That's going to make opportunities arise more than any other thing you can do. Amen? Y'all with me?